All right, good morning. How are you? Good. Hey, I don't know about you and what your uh, Christmas experience was as a child. Um, I think mine was, uh, my mom made it pretty magical, and my, my dad, uh, if you know him at all. But um, my mom made Christmas pretty magical. Uh, she loves giving gifts, and she loves receiving gifts, probably more than giving gifts. Uh, but, you know, those kind of go hand in hand when you're a mom. And so uh, Christmas was always a magical time in the Smith house. And uh, my mom was an early decorator. And back in the day, that meant that she decorated Thanksgiving Day. Now, early decorators now is like October. Maybe you keep it up year round, you know, some of you. Uh, but mom was an early decorator. And so from Thanksgiving Day until Christmas, uh, she was building anticipation in our little uh, child hearts, right? You know, and their presence would start to show up under the tree. And uh, there's, there's lights, and mom had all these fancy little Christmas village. Anybody have the Christmas village, the little churches? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, somebody does. My mom had these. So, th so, so what's happening the whole month of December is this building anticipation. And, and my kids, we have little countdowns on the wall, and they're like, what day is today? What number is today? They want to know how many days until Christmas. This is, this is one of those feelings of Christmas. Maybe that's unique to Christmas for so many of us is anticipation, is this, this longing, this, this oh, I can't wait, I can't, I can't wait until uh, it gets there. When I think of childhood Christmas, I think of the word anticipation. And that's what we're going to talk about today from the Old Testament is anticipation. The Old Testament all throughout it has this, this mood of anticipation, this longing for something that is to come, this, this hope for something that is going to be in the future. And what were they anticipating? Like we anticipate Christmas, like we, we long for, they were anticipating the Messiah, the Messiah. We, we use this word uh, all over the place, and you may not recognize it. It's so familiar to us, but Messiah is a Hebrew word, and uh, in the Greek, it's the word Christos, where we get Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Hate to inform this. Uh, if you didn't know that this morning, he's not Jesus Christ like Jesus Smith. No, he's Jesus the Messiah, he is the Messiah, and it means the anointed one. It means, uh, it means a lot. There's a lot of other words used in the Old Testament to describe the Messiah, terms like servant and savior and king and prophet and so many others in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, the Messiah is a term that, that builds. It starts really small. But through the Old Testament, it builds and it builds and it builds until the time of Jesus' coming. There is this massive level of anticipation, of this longing for the Messiah to come. And we're going to look at some of the passages today. Um, now, this is how I thought about this this week. Uh, we like to give our kids hints because we're mean parents, right? We like to tell them, hey, there's a surprise coming, right? We're going to do something really fun. And we lay this out there. And my kids go, well, what is it? Well, we can't tell you or it wouldn't be a surprise, right? But we start to give them little hints. And, and Hudson probably figures it out faster than the girls at this point. Uh, but we start to give little hints. And as I think about the Old Testament, that's, that's kind of, not exactly, but kind of what God is doing. He's giving little hints. 
He's laying out a little bit of information. He's not giving us the whole picture. He's not telling us the whole thing right up front, but he is laying out a little bit. And then he builds on it, and he adds a little more, and he adds a little more. And that's what we're going to look at today. It is so hard to read the Old Testament and not talk about Jesus. But I'm going to try to do it today. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about the Messiah. And I'm going to try to just give hints. I'm trying to try to lay out what he, what the, what what they would have felt at, at the time, at, at that, that anticipation, that longing for the Messiah to come. So, before we begin, let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning, God, and I thank you for uh, what this time of year is and what it means. God, I pray that as we um, think about. Uh, the anticipation of joy, the anticipation of what the Messiah coming would bring. God, I pray that you would help us to see clearly that this has been your plan all along, to save your people from their sins. God, you, you were not caught off guard. You were not surprised by our sinfulness, God, but you did have a plan from the very beginning and all throughout time and to today and to the end of eternity, God, you have had a plan for the Messiah to be the centerpiece of the whole story, for the Messiah to be the one that would come and save us from our sins. And so I pray that as we look at that today, God, and as we celebrate Christmas this week, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, God, may our hearts be directed towards Christ and may Christ be magnified. May, may, may the Messiah be magnified, not anything else this year, God. So we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're just going to look at eight passages of Scripture, and you're thinking, that's ambitious. Yes, it is, but let's go. Eight passages that talk about the Messiah from the Old Testament. So there's notes on the bulletin if you want to track with us, or you can just uh, listen along. But the first truth from the Old Testament, the first hint that God gives about his coming Messiah is that the Messiah will be from the lineage of Eve. That means she will be born in the line of Eve. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. This is right after Adam and Eve have sinned, and the Lord comes and he talks to them. And he's speaking to the serpent in verse 14, and he says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, that means hatred, uh, strife, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So just after Adam and Eve have sinned in the garden, and they've caused separation between them and God, like this has broken the whole story. This has broken everything that was meant to be. God comes and he gives them this little hint of good news. What's the good news? The good news is in verse 15. He promises that there will be a son born to Eve, right? What? What? That's a really small hint. There's going to be a son. And he's going to crush, what does it say? He's going to bruise or crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise his heel. This is sometimes called seed or offspring, but, but this son, this son will one day come and crush the serpent's head. It makes it very clear, the Messiah that God is sending, the one who will take care of the main problem in the story, the main evil character in the story, which is the serpent, 
is the one who will be born of woman. The son of Eve will come and will be the Messiah and will redeem us from our main problem, sin and separation. Now, how he's going to do that? Very unclear at this point. One small little hint. But we know the Messiah's purpose is to come and to crush the serpent's head. He's coming to save us all. God has a plan from the very beginning that the Messiah will be born of Eve and he will come to save us all. Second, the, the Messiah will be born, uh, will be from the lineage of Abraham. Be from the lineage of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, just a few verses over, a few chapters over. Genesis chapter 12, look at verse 2. He says, and I will make of you, God speaking to Abraham, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, time goes along from, from Adam and Eve, and it, it goes down and it gets to Abraham and God chooses Abraham out of nobody. He's a, he's a nobody, but God chooses him and he chooses to give him all this stuff. We don't, we're not going to talk about all the stuff. He says he'll make him a great nation. He'll bless him. He'll be a blessing. It, all this stuff, right? Good stuff. He just chooses him, which is a picture of grace. But in this statement at the very end of the focal point of it is in verse 3. He says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, so many times we get hung up on this, that God chose Israel. They're the chosen people. And God set his love on Israel. But from the very beginning of choosing what will become Israel, what does he say? You're going to be a blessing to all the nations. God's going to do something through Abraham to bless all the nations. This is the Messiah. Right? It's not just a son of Eve. That doesn't really narrow it down any. Now it's going to be a son of Abraham, which, to be honest, doesn't really narrow it down much anymore. But we know that there will be a son that's born of Eve, that's born of Adam, that will come and will be a blessing to all the nations and will crush the serpent's head. God's Messiah is not just for one group of people. It's not just the Israelite Messiah. No, it's a, it's a plan to save us all. So the Messiah will be from the lineage of Eve. There's your first hint. Second hint, the Messiah will be from the lineage of Abraham. And third, the Messiah will be from the lineage of David. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Starting in verse 12. God is speaking to David at this point. And David uh, has been king of Israel after Saul has fallen and David's been anointed and placed as king and a man after God's own heart, all that. And here's what he says to David. Here's the promise he gives David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. 
And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What we know is that David is of the house of Abraham. He's in the lineage of Abraham. He's an Israelite. But, but David wasn't anybody really important, right? David wasn't well-known in his early years. He wasn't, you know, in some highly political family or some powerful something. No, he was the tenth of ten sons, if you remember, right? He's of the house of Jesse, who's this obscure random figure who lives in Bethlehem, which the only thing Bethlehem is known for is that David was anointed king there. But other than that, Bethlehem is a, a place where they just raise sheep to be slaughtered in Jerusalem. And God comes and he anoints David in Bethlehem to be king over Israel. And then he gives him this promise. They're waiting for this. Is, is David going to be the one? Is he the son that's going to save us from our sins? No, it wasn't him. Is it going to be Solomon? Is it going to be? No, they've waited every son that's been born. There's this longing. There's this anticipation. And the promises given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is that one of his sons will be the Messiah. He says that, that he will establish his kingdom. Now, David has a kingdom. David's a king. But does his kingdom last forever? No. Right? Solomon, his son, royally screws it up, right? And, and if you read the rest of the Old Testament, every king that's in that line just, just butchers it after it butchers it. And they, they fall short and they never quite measure up. So we know God is not talking here when he says that he will establish this kingdom forever. He's not talking about one of the Old Testament kings. He's talking about something much grander. Something much more important than David or Abraham or Adam. Verse 14 gives us a little hint. Look at verse 14. It says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, in some sense, we're all sons of God or daughters of God, but this is really specific, that this king that will be established forever is going to be what? It's going to be the son of God. Do you see this? The Messiah is not just a man born of Eve. He's not just an Israelite born of Abraham. He's not just a king born in the line of David. No, he is a son of God. This is a huge claim. This is really important in the Old Testament narrative. The Messiah is to come is way more than just a person. He's a son of God. Number four, we've looked at the first three hints, kind of who his family is. Now we're going to look at some of the specifics about how he will be born, how he will come. Number four, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. God gets so specific here. Sons of David, not, not a great hint, but that narrows it down. Born in Bethlehem, we're getting down to it, right? There's not very many options. It's like being born in Huntington, right? It's not, not a whole lot of people born in Huntington, right? There's a lot of people born in Lufkin, but he's saying born in Bethlehem, small little Bethlehem. Look at Micah 5.2. He says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. What we see here in this passage is the Messiah that's going to come. He's not just going to crush the serpent's head. He's not just going to be a king, but it says that he will be a ruler he will rule over all the promises of the Old Testament for David and his kingdom lasting forever. 
It's much different than all the other kings that have acted wickedly and let Israel down. The ruler that is coming, he says, his coming forth is from old, from ancient days, which is, gives us this hint, this is not just a person, right? This is not just another king in the line of David. He says his coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He's describing before they could see it. We look back and we can look at this and go, well, duh, of course, he's going to be God, Right? It's so easy for us, but for them, they're they're reading this. What is coming forth is from of old? But it's describing his divinity, that God's going to come himself. But at the same time, he's going to be born in human flesh. He's going to be born of a woman, born in little Bethlehem. Of all the tribes and clans of Israel, Bethlehem was properly sung about in the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, right? It's not a fancy place, not an important place, except for the fact that David was anointed there. But think about that for a second. The Messiah is going to be born in the same place that the King David was anointed. And what here is said, he's going to be the ruler in Israel. Right? It's starting to narrow down. We're starting to see that the Messiah is coming. The anticipation is building through the Old Testament. Not only will the Messiah come and be born in Bethlehem, number five, the Messiah will be born of a virgin. Now we just get extreme. Now we just get way out there, right? We narrowed it down, son of Eve, son of Abraham, son of David, born in Bethlehem. Now we're talking about miracle. The Messiah will be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 Isaiah 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see the hints start to pile up. There's going to be a son of God. There's going to be a ruler. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. That The virgin will conceive. And you shall call his name God with us. The Messiah is going to come in a miraculous way. And to be honest, the miracle is not really the virgin birth. Uh, that's probably not the right way for us to say it. The miracle is virgin conception. The, the rest of the process plays out regardless of whether it was Conceived by God or conceived by a man? You tracking with me? Anybody? Okay, right? Is it, is it so hard to believe? Now, people get hung up on this. There's a lot of, we're, we're too smart for this. We're too scientific and rational to go, ah, there's, there's just no way. We know how babies are born, and this doesn't fit the, the paradigm of how this happens. We know how this happens, right? Now, why is God doing this, right? Why is he, why is he doing this? Why is, because, because science can't prove it. Why, why would he do this? When, when, why would he use miracle? Well, because the Messiah coming is an extraordinary thing, is a supernatural thing. It's God himself coming in flesh. Of course it would come by miracle. Now, if you, don't, if you struggle with this, if you go, I don't know, do I really believe virgin birth? I don't know. Joseph himself when he was told the news by the angel, he didn't believe. And we're going to look at that some in the coming week. Uh, he was going to divorce Mary and kind of let her go quietly and just kind of move on with life. He didn't believe her when she said this. 
But he had to be told by an angel that this was true. And then he believed. If we're to be honest, uh, in our day, we don't really understand how birth happens either. Now, I know you go to 17 ultrasound appointments between, you know, here and there, and, and doctors claim all this knowledge about stuff, but do we really know how a baby is formed and kept in the womb? Every birth is a miracle of sorts. We don't really have great knowledge of what happens on the inside. We might can scan it and look at it on a screen for a second, but we don't know how to produce a baby. We know what happens at the beginning, and we know how to get a baby out, and everything in between, we hope and we pray, right? Is it so hard to believe that the God who can speak the world into existence could speak one sperm into existence? Is that so hard to believe? If he can create the world and everything in it, one little human cell, that's so hard to believe? Because what happens after that is just the natural course of events in a woman's body, right? It's not so hard to believe that God could speak and create one little cell and produce the God of the universe, the Messiah. But that is his plan, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Why? So that it would be based on faith, so it would be based on belief in God and his ability, that, so that we would believe this is not just another man who's come to save us. The government's here to help you, right? No, no, no. This is somebody who has come to save us from our sins, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. That's number five. Not only that, the Messiah who would come, let's look at what he will be like and what he will do. Number six, the Messiah will be a prophet like Moses. The Messiah will be a prophet like Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, we'll flip back a little bit. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and verse 18. We get another hint from God about who this Messiah will be and what he will be like. Verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. And he's saying, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him, it is to him you shall listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so God gives this hint early in Deuteronomy. This is way back that, that the Messiah that is to come, he will come as a prophet. And a prophet means someone who proclaims the word of God, the truth of God. The Messiah is not coming to just uh, conquer uh, physically and to rule uh, over people as a king or earthly dominion. No, he's coming to speak the word of God. It says, to you, to him, you shall listen. Moses has done this in the wilderness. He has declared to them God's word. And he's saying, one day God's going to send you a prophet like me, and he will declare to you God's word. This Messiah will come and he will proclaim to you God's word. It says that he will be like me or like Moses. What did Moses do? Moses was close to God. He had to go in and have a close relationship with God. Moses performed miracles. Moses did all kinds of amazing things so the people would believe. The Messiah is going to be like that. Moses was a mediator between the people and God. He, they would come to him and confess their sins, and he would speak to God, and then he, would, he stood between them and God. And the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to be like that. Moses was a deliverer 
from slavery. He led them out of slavery into freedom, right? And he says the Messiah will be like that. But the Messiah is going to be way better than Moses. Moses is long gone. The Messiah is coming and he will be the greater and better Moses. Number seven, the Messiah is coming and he will proclaim good news. So many of the passages about the Messiah are in the book of Isaiah. And I could only choose a couple. But Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2 The Messiah will come and he will proclaim good news. Look at 61, verse 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. It goes on and on and talks about this servant, this Messiah that is to come. But what he says is that he's coming to proclaim good news. He's coming, uh, he's going to be anointed with the Spirit of God to speak the Word of God. And what he's going to proclaim is good news. Not only that, you can see from the words and what he talks about that he, he is not just proclaiming it, but he is uh, he's doing stuff to set the captives free, to all this, all this language about what he's doing. So the Messiah is coming to proclaim good news, and he's coming to demonstrate good news. He's going to be with the poor. He's going to comfort the brokenhearted. He's going to set people free from bondage. He's coming to preach, proclaim the word of God, the good news. But he's coming to do miraculous things to prove that he is the Messiah. He's coming to save us from our sins. And this is how he's going to do it. Number eight. The Messiah will suffer and die in our place. Isaiah 53. Look at verse four. It says, surely he, speaking of the Messiah, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. And we, we could go through and read all of chapter 53, and you should uh, probably every week, every month, to remind us of, of God's plan 600 years before Jesus ever came That the Messiah was coming not to just be a ruler. He's not coming just to proclaim the word of God. He's coming to do something. And what's he coming to do? He's coming to suffer and to die in our place. The Messiah is not just a a political figure. He's not a military figure. No, he's coming as as an atonement for our sin to crush the serpent's head. This passage, Isaiah 53, is the pinnacle of Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah because it proclaims what he's coming to do. This is an unexpected turn. If you've been following, we're thinking, ruler, yeah, crush the serpent's head, yeah, all these things, blessing to the nation. This is all like real positive stuff. But we get to this and we go, oh, suffer, 
Ooh, despised. Ooh, rejected. Ooh, my sins on him. This is a turn of events. But this has been God's plan from the very beginning. And what we've seen in hints all throughout, we start to get a clearer picture in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah is coming to suffer and die in our place. The term for that theological term is atonement. He's coming to atone for our sins. That his death will make the payment and, and will, will appease the penalty that we deserved. He's coming to shed his blood in our place. He's coming to bear the weight of our sin. He's coming to, to, uh, to swap places with us. We call it the great exchange. That what we deserved, he takes on. And we deserve death and we deserve punishment because of our sin and our rejection of God. And what he deserved was righteousness because he had lived perfectly and he was in right relationship with God. And he takes what we deserve and he gives us what he had earned and he swaps it. It's called grace. It's called mercy. This is the Messiah and this is what he has come to do. Now, I don't know if you can see it. But I'm here to tell you today, the Messiah is Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> it's the, big, the worst kept secret I've ever had. <laughs> to a bunch of Christians in a room. But I want you to see today this, that the Messiah that is proclaimed over and over and over throughout the Old Testament is Jesus Christ himself. He came to proclaim good news. He stood in the temple and he said, it is I, I'm anointed by the Lord and I'm here to proclaim good news. That passage is about me. He, he, he's he did so much, and he fulfilled every single one of these prophecies. God has had a plan from the very beginning to save us from our sins, and he has executed that plan in Jesus Christ. So how do we respond? Uh, and this week as I thought about this, the only thing I can think of is, just, is worship. We, we celebrate Christmas and we do all this stuff, right? And there's decorations and traditions and all this sort of stuff. And, and this is the culmination. We're celebrating the culmination of the pinnacle, the, the peak of, of human history. And we can, we can make it so uh, f full of fluff and full of uh, sentimental stuff and forget that this is about the Messiah coming to save us from our sins. God has written this story and he's given us hints and he's executed it and, and he has made a way for us to be saved from our sin, to crush the serpent's head. And the only thing we can really do at this time of year is worship. Praise God for all that he has done. My favorite Christmas hymn is a hymn Charles Wesley wrote called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And it's a very difficult song to sing for me. It's got this old tune that I can't ever figure out where the notes are going, but I love the words. And here's what it says. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne.
My hope this week and all weeks of our year is that Christ would be magnified, is that in our hearts this Christmas season that we would turn to worship. Why? Because God has proven himself worthy of our worship. He's proven it over and over. He, he knew what he was doing all throughout the Old Testament, and he had a plan and he had a purpose, and he came and he did that so that you and I could be brought into relationship with him. That's the good news of Christmas, that Christ has come. The Messiah has come. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning. God, and I thank you for our time together. God, I pray that as we think about Christmas this week and as we experience it and all the traditions and all the, the family and the stuff, God, I pray that our hearts would be filled with worship and thankfulness. God, I'd be filled with trust and confidence in you because, they, because of your plan to send the Messiah to save us from our sins. God, we love you. God, may we be a worshiping people this week. God, may we proclaim the goodness of all that you've done this week. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.